1: We would be honored
0: if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got P-Nate and Pooty. I was about to call myself P-Poodie and Nate Petey, but I didn't.
1: That's because it's been so long since we've been in Garage Mahal together that you're just tripping out and making all the rookie mistakes we used to all those years ago. <laughs> all, those, all those
0: many moons ago. I think I might be a little like... A little bit tipsy on like medication, so yeah. there's that. If you, you can hear said, it in you my sound, voice,
1: you sound like uh, like you've been smoking cigars and drinking whiskey all day. <laughs> That's what well, it sounds like. It's, well, it's funny. Is so just a, lean into it. It's kind of sexy.
0: I I, I I keep it purposely for the ladies. <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, actually, speaking of like whiskey. At our church on Sunday, three people were like, man, you sound terrible. What have you been doing? i be like, I've been taking antibiotics. I've been being, trying to rest and drink a lot of water. And three separate people were like, nah, man, hot toddies.
1: Yes. Hot toddies are like all the rage at our church. I remember how <laughs> Mac, Mac wasn't even there. Big Mac. No, it was Big three Mac? separate yeah. people. Big Mac. So there's a guy at our church. And I think the first time I was ever at the church and had like a cold on a Sunday morning, he's like, pastor, I got to talk to you. Anytime Saturday night, if you just got a tickle in your throat, you have a hot toddy. And at the time, I didn't know what a hot toddy was. I still so, don't. I still okay, don't. do okay. Do I know what a hot toddy? Yes, is? I do. okay. So hot toddy is you you steep some tea, right? Okay, so, it's like hot tea. Hot, it's, so it's hot tea. So it's hot tea. Shot of whiskey, <laughs> squeeze a lemon in, <laughs> and then you take uh, some of the um, not like regular honey. What's that other honey called? I don't know. The, the other honey, the hard honey, you know, the hard honey that you keep in the fridge. It's like creamed honey, creamed honey. That's what it is. Sure. So you take cream, you take a, a teaspoon of creamed honey. Uh, you squeeze in a lemon, uh, a shot of whiskey into some tea. And by the time you put all that stuff in, it's not really like hot anymore. It's just like warm. And so you can just
0: down it. And you just chug it. Yeah. You take a whole I glass? do it with
1: green tea though, because I feel like green tea is supposed to be healthier. So do all that with green tea.
0: Well, I'm counting my calories. I wonder if that would throw that off the creamed honey might but in, in fairness I've had this cold since like before Christmas whiskey so at this point, is very
1: low in calories <laughs> whiskey is very low in calories so that's why yeah I always tell people when they're this is like I don't know we're I, on I such a buddy we, trail I always tell people who are like counting their calories or wanting to diet or whatever like just the reminder that hard liquor is way better for you than beer and wine right because it doesn't have the sugar so drink all the whiskey you want but you should probably stay away from beer and wine if you're counting calories
0: Wine, I would have thought wine was super healthy. No, man. So much sugar. So much sugar. I don't I don't know these yeah. things. I, I just want to preface that it's not for diet. I'm just counting calories just to know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I would like to know how many Pru- I'm eating. Puddy's just really like, competitive. I just want, I feel like I'm eating more than you yeah. and that makes me feel like I'm winning.
1: All right. So as you can see, Chris and I have been out of studio for a while, makeshifting uh, where we record and win, but we're back in Garage Mahal, so we're feeling pretty comfortable despite Chris's outbreak of whatever it is over there. But we're The Rebel Podcast and we come to you, I was about to say, live. It's not so much live, but we're here on a Tuesday night. You're going to listen to us tomorrow morning. Rebel podcast drops on the Reformed Rebel Network on Wednesdays. Uh, other podcasts in our network, there is the Awakening Reformation podcast that comes out on Tuesdays with Grant and Erica Van Brimmer. Uh, they've been doing some great episodes and just dropped one on symbolism today, which is really exciting. And I'm pumped about next week's episode as well. But then there's also Fathers of Faith for Covenant Kids split with Apprentice Theologians. So on Mondays, you um, every other week, uh, the Van Brimmer's do a podcast with their kids, Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids, teaching um, church history to the the kids. It's a podcast by their family for your family. And then Dwayne Rolette and uh, Lila Van Bremer do Apprentice Theologians every other week. So that's kind of looking at culture through a biblical lens for a teenager and kind of a Teenager? Is that is Is that
0: how you say it? Yeah, I get a lot out of that one.
1: <laughs> and then, of course, uh, Ryan Aris and Joe Boot at the uh, Ezra Institute are still dropping the podcast for Cultural Reformation on Fridays. They've been so busy at the Ezra Institute that uh, they've been hit or miss a little bit. But whenever whenever you get Joe's uh, wonderful voice on the podcast, uh, you know good things are coming. And that's the Reformed Rebel Network. You can uh, find us online, find us on Facebook, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. And uh, blog posts, videos, uh, you name it. So lots of great stuff coming out. We're super excited to make more announcements. Um, but not the, those announcements are not for today. For today, it's time for Rebel News. <laughs> Very good segue. <laughs> So okay, so um I wanted to talk about you know we're here in Garage Mahal and we're super comfortable because it's like coming home. It is. So I want to tell you about a news piece of another guy who felt like he was coming home. But it's actually a guy who came out oh, <laughs> before boy. he went home. Okay, so there's a Lutheran pastor who back in the 80s, this guy's name was Ralph Carl Wuschke, Uh, and he was a Lutheran church at the first evangelical Lutheran church in Toronto. And he, in the 80s, uh, 1978 um, was when the process started, and then in the early 80s, he had his ordination taken away and his pastorate taken from him because he came out as a gay man. So you might be thinking, oh, good for the Lutheran church. Yeah, amen. But that was a while ago. He's now 66 years old, and this past Saturday, in front of a packed crowd of supportive congregants, he was officially reinstated. Here's just a quote. It says, It was really a culmination of a lifelong dream for me, Wooshki told uh, the magazine. I was received back with great joy. Then the article goes on to say, Wooshki is the first pastor to be welcomed back to the Lutheran Canadian Church since it changed its rules to allow for LGBTQ clergy in 2011. So what happened was, obviously, the Lutheran Church of Canada was, we would say, biblically orthodox concerning uh, homosexuality. If a pastor was uh, was in unrepentant sin, he'd be taken out, as any good denomination ought to do, with their unrepentant clergy. But the Lutheran Church caved to social pressure in uh, 2011 and allowed for the ordination of gay men. And so here's his quote. So this is Wooshki himself. I see it as an important step in our commitment to full inclusion of the LGBTQ2SIA plus community within our church for equal rights and justice within the whole of society. So, I mean, the, the article um, that I'm reading here is on CBC and uh, obviously it's very much in favor. And it goes on to talk about how the uh, other denominations need to get in line as well. And that maybe just, maybe they might be able to reverse the, uh, the view of culture to the church is outdated, irrelevant, and hateful towards the LGBT community. So what are your thoughts there? Well, I would whiskey, whiskey drinking
0: man. (laughs) I would challenge that letting him back in is the hateful thing to do because he is an like, he's openly unrepentant of his sin, the Bible tells us that people who willfully live in sin go to hell. And yep. so by welcoming him back in, we've basically given a pat on the back and say, continue on your path to destruction. So I would say CBC's got it backwards, obviously, uh, yeah, by the fact nothing that- Nothing new there. <laughs> shocking. Yeah. Uh, because of the fact that by welcoming him back in, we're doing the thing that is going to lead him to destruction. We're not We're not helping him. We're not loving him. Yeah. We're doing the exact opposite. Because the truth is, we talk about all the time what we used to, what we used to, what we used to, what we used to record. But now <laughs> um, what we talk about all the time, like what is real love? Real love is correcting wrong, and a lot of, the, and that's caring more about somebody's eternal good than their temporal comfort, their temporal pat on the back. And so, I would say, poorly done, bad form, Lutheran church. The other thing I would say is that we talk about this again all the time. We live in a time where. It's more important to appear loving, to appear unified, to appear to appease the masses than it is to, to be biblical. Um, and so he's like, "This is a big important step to be unified with the LGBTQBSD by squared movement." I don't know what it's called now. Well, I thought that was um,
1: interesting. So even as he's saying that, you're so LGBTQ2SIA. I don't know what the I or the A. I'm assuming A is like asexual or
0: international standard. I don't know. Yeah, I
1: don't. Know. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, The two S I know is two spirit. So like, you know, how far is the church going to go in this? I'd be interested to know, right? And, you know, when are they going to start reinstating anybody that was taken out for other sins? And here's the thing, like the Bible is very clear, right? So for any of our listeners, you probably agree with us on this, but anybody who might be listening to this, who takes the other stance, the Bible is very clear on this. It's not just Levitical law, though. We would say that we are still under the moral Levitical law, but even if you want to dance around and be an Andy Stanley who's unhitching from the Old Testament, even if we were to grant you that, (laughs) yeah, Romans 1 is very clear on this. It talks not only about homosexual men, but it talks about homosexual women who give up natural desires and do what ought not to be done and, and pursue unnatural desires with those of the same sex. It's very clear. 1 Corinthians 6 couldn't be more clear. It says homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's very clear in these texts and so in order for them to reinstate a a clergy who is an openly gay man they have to start you know doing the highlighter with the black sharpie to their bible and the problem is is that now he's already said we have to start being he he didn't just talk about gay the gay community he talked about the lgbt2s1ia plus community
0: you were closer than i was yeah
1: which means now they have to do the same thing for all those. And we've we've talked on this podcast about articles. There was that uh, the Prime documentary that uh, that Amazon Prime funded called "I Pedophile," where it was normalizing pedophilia, talking about how pedophilia ought to be part of the sexual spectrum as well. And so, I mean, there's no breaks on this sexual revolution bus. The minute you you start to bend and erase parts of the Bible, explain away parts of the Bible, and say that now you know as society evolves we get to the point where we start to see that the bible's outdated well now you're all you're doing is cherry picking all you're doing is you might as well go in there pick the books you like not like not you know which is exactly what you're doing the, the minute you start to bow to portions of scripture that are so clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here's what I'll say. So I would say most of our listeners agree with us on the on the homosexual side of things, but here's where it might sting for some of our listeners who still listen to us and disagree with us on the complementarian side of things. Complementarianism is very clear in scripture as well. Very clear in scripture. And we open the door for gay clergy the moment we start ordaining women, right? Because the minute you're going to start to explain away culturally, portions of the Bible that make it very clear that the office of elder pastor and overseer are reserved for men. The minute you start explaining that away culturally, you've given permission now to explain away anything that you don't like culturally.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. This is how we get offshoots of Christianity that just deny Christ that deny everything because we start, if you start softening on, on certain things, it's very easy to then soften on the next thing and it gets easier and yeah. easier and easier until you're finding yourself Rob Bell where like you're floating in a cloud thinking everybody's going to heaven. You know what I mean? Like I just made that one up, Uh, which is a good segue uh, into our topic today. But but once you ignore the word of God somewhere, it becomes easier to to ignore it everywhere and even in your own life. Right.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly right. And so and so just to make this really practical for our listeners, because we exist here to help you um, engage culture with the biblical worldview. Some of us might feel like we're pretty solid on biblical sexuality and we're pretty solid on gender roles. Good for us. But let's take what Chris just said and take that to heart. That also means all those passages about gossip, about slander, right? All those passages about um, in your anger, don't sin. All of those passages about the proverb, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. The fruit of the spirit, pursuing patience and gentleness and kindness. All of those things are in scripture too. And and the moment we start to explain some of them away, right? And and we do this in other subtle ways, right? Where Christians uh, ignore the Bible's command to cultivate patience by saying well you know i i have a bit of a temper that's just you know the way Swear. i'm wired that's just the, that's just the way i am we are falling into the same trap that the women who feel called by God to be a pastor and the gay people who say it's not my fault I was born this way. We're falling into the exact same trap, and so let's not think that we're better just because we've held the line on biblical sexuality. When we start to ignore any part of God's word, the next place gets easier to ignore, and that's the slippery slope that's got so many denominations exactly where the Lutheran Church of Canada is. Amen.
0: Yeah, you just burned all of us. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> me too. Me too. You Preaching included myself here.
0: Like every- Everybody, yeah.
1: You had a great segue there. So we're starting a new series, and the the new series I introed on my own last week uh, we're calling this no other gospel and uh, and it really it comes out of right now I'm preaching through Galatians and so I, I got my mind in, in Galatians and and uh, I won't preach to you because I I'm excited about it and I can just go on and on but basically the book of Galatians is written uh, by Paul I think in the in the mid 40s right before he goes off to the Jerusalem Council so he's in Antioch and the uh, the false teachers have come in behind him as he's gone through his first missionary journey and in the southern cities of the Roman province of Galatia. There's cities like Lystra and Derby and Iconium, which are listed in his first missionary journey in the book of Acts. And I think that those are the churches that he writes the, the book of Galatians to. And I think what he's doing is he's just been summoned to the Jerusalem council and the Bible shows us that narrative in Acts 15. So he's been summoned to the Jerusalem council and he's got to go from Antioch to Jerusalem for this council where they're going to argue, is it necessary to become a Jew in order to be saved by the gospel. That's what they're arguing about at the Jerusalem council. And so Paul is hedging his bets here. He doesn't know which way it's going to go at the Jerusalem Council. He's obviously hoping that the true gospel is going to win the day. But I think he's writing a letter to these churches that he's planted, trying to set them up for, hey, no matter what comes out of Jerusalem, no matter which way the apostles go there, no matter what comes word for you, you know that you are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And that's what the book of Galatians, that's the context that we get the book of Galatians. And so that makes Galatians the earliest articulation of an apostolic gospel, right? The first one written as a sort of defense of the, the apostolic gospel of salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. And so I'm preaching through that right now. So the gospel's on my mind. The first couple of sermons are all in chapter one, obviously, because we're going through it nice and slow. And so in Galatians chapter one, he starts off with his little bit of pleasantries, but he quickly kind of gets over that. And as soon as he gets into after the greeting of his letter, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then he goes on to say, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So his word there is really important, not that there's another one, right? There's only one gospel. There's only one thing that saves but there are some who come along and distort it. And so Chris and I got the idea that it was in one of my sermons early in this series where we kind of touched on some of the gospels that have infiltrated different areas of North American evangelicalism. And I kind of quickly surveyed some of them in a sermon and Chris and I got the idea, like, wouldn't it be great if we could delve deeper into them on the podcast? And some of them line up with some questions we've got some from listeners. So is that an adequate foundation there setting that up? Anything you want to add to that? No, that's perfect. All right. So what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to take a particular distortion of the gospel and use, we hope, the word of God to dismantle it.
0: I was going to say pee all over it. Like. Sure,
1: that not, not, might not be that. a visual image that any you of our listeners it, want. Like super <laughs> serious, and I was
0: like, "We're just gonna pee all over it. We're gonna light it on fire."
1: There you go. So if you want the reverend, uh, the, the reverend uh, sort of, we're going to dismantle it with the word of God. right, right,
0: or, now, right now, there's people who have started listening to the podcast in the last like month and a half, and they're like, "I think I liked it better when it was just Nate." <laughs>
1: All right. So, so whether we're going to pee all over it or dismantle it with the word of God, let's talk. So we're going to start tonight with one that I think is actually very, very prevalent in the culture today. And that is the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement. And we're going to couple these together because of their popularity and because of the propensity that they have to kind of bleed into one another. If we we're going to kind of put a descriptor, what is the prosperity gospel? What is the word of faith movement,
0: Chris? For the prosperity gospel, I would say it's it's the belief that if you call out to Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, your life is going to get way better materially. So Correct. like with faith in Christ, you're going to get wealth. You're going to get prosperity. Things are going to work out. Job success. Everything will eventually, if you have enough faith and you donate enough money, everything in your life right now will work out for good and not the eternal good, like the, the real life temporal good is how I would kind of describe it. And then the word of faith movement, I would simply say, is just teaches that Christians can access the power of um, the apostles and po- the power of Christ to make things happen that the Bible doesn't say we can do. Um, so simply through our speeches, through teaching that we can, Heal, walk on water, move mountains, like literally things that (laughs) we're never called to do. You know what I mean? Right. Um,
1: I think these two things kind of bleed into one another in in a couple of ways. And I I think you, you kind of nailed them both there. The prosperity gospel. So if I was being as generous as I could with it, what I would say is that they believe that because the gospel makes it possible for us to be adopted into the family of God, right? So it takes those verses that we are blessed in Christ in the heavenly places, right? Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Uh, we are co-heirs with Christ. We have a great inheritance, all those kinds of, uh, of things. And so the idea is God is our father. He owns everything. We've been adopted into the family. We are co-heirs with Christ who has all authority in heaven and on earth. It all belongs to him. And if it all belongs to him, then God, the father bestows, on his children, the material blessing that makes the familyhood of God look attractive to the world, right? So that's what they would say. They would say that when you walk in faith, there are material blessings. And let's be honest, there is a a theme, there is a a thread that runs through all of scripture that obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings curse. That's biblical. But what they do is they conflate the spiritual promises that are promised and and those verses about working all things together for good and they make all of it promises that are for the here and now, like you said. Yeah. It's interesting for a post-millennial like me, like post-millennials like us, to say they have... Essentially, they have an over-realized eschatology. <laughs> we get accused of that all the time, but they actually have one. And that is that they, they see that all of the blessings that are promised to followers of Christ are for this age. They're for here and for now. Forget the whole... Unless the seed goes into the ground and dies, it won't bear much fruit. It won't bear any fruit. Forget those verses about dying to yourself, taking up your cross, and all that kind of stuff. They see you follow Christ, and good things follow those who follow Christ.
0: I have a friend who was into this gospel before he got pulled out of it, basically. Yep. And I remember asking him, like, what was the teaching? Like, where, where would you guys look in scripture? What were the examples in scripture of this? And it was interesting that they used his church. I don't know if this is universal. It's just very interesting to me. Used Old Testament examples to prove his point. It was like, Abraham was blessed. And when he, like, when he was right. faithful, he was blessed. Right. David was blessed. Solomon was blessed.
1: Israel did well under a faithful king, did poorly under an unfaithful it, exactly. king. Exactly. Yeah. Like,
0: Joseph blessed, like, and all these things. And he was like, and it was funny that he was like always liking him them to those people. And I, I remember what having a conversation one time and he didn't know how to respond. And the kind of, the conversation kind of ended after I said it, but I was like, but those people are supposed to point to Jesus, not us. Were the Israelites. And and he was just like, uh, and like there was that moment of like <laughs> right. the conversation can either turn here or, and then somebody came in the room and it was like, the yeah. conversation was over, but it struck me as you were talking there today, it's just like, that's like, it's just simple perversions of, yeah, that's right. of good teaching that bleeds into this that's right. um, doctrine, basically. That's right.
1: There's a couple of main theological aspects of the Bible that you have to ignore in order to be a prosperity gospel professor, Right. So they would point, and I've, I've had these conversations with plenty of people who espouse this doctrinal error, and they'll point to somebody like Job who suffered, right? And the point was, yeah, but everything got restored, right? Everything was given back to him, right? And so what they always are looking to do is looking to the end of the story, but they're not looking at the individual moments within a story. So they won't focus on, they'll focus on the idea that under David's faithful time as king, the Northern and Southern tribes of Israel were, were united. The kingdom was won. The Philistines were defeated. They got the Ark of the covenant back, like all those things. They won't focus on David's son dying from Bathsheba and if they do they'll focus well that's because he sinned right if you don't sin your kids aren't going to die like that and what they fail to see is little subtle things like this think about this first of all David was a man of war who was commanded by God to rid Israel of the Philistines and his greatest heart's desire was to build the temple And at the end of his life, when all he wanted to do was build the temple, after all his fighting, God says, Nope, you've shed too much blood. Your son will build the temple. Those are the aspects of scripture that the prosperity preachers aren't touching because he was faithful to God's command. He did what he was supposed to do. He was a man of war. He defeated the Philistines and God said no. And God saying no in the mind of a prosperity gospel pupil God doesn't say no unless it's because of our unfaithfulness. So the fact that God said no because of David's faithfulness, that's something that they won't touch. Or you look at like Paul, who had the thorn in the flesh, right? And he says, you know, three times I prayed to God asking for him to remove it. And yet God saw fit not to remove it so that in my weakness, his power could be on display, Right. He basically says it was there to keep me humble.
0: Paul just didn't have enough faith,
1: man. Right. And this is where the prosperity gospel connects to the word of faith movement. Okay. So the word of faith movement is like you said, it's the idea that anything is possible with enough faith. Right. So it goes to these obscure verses where Jesus who raises the centurion's daughter Says the centurion, right, who comes and says, oh, don't you don't have to come to my house. I get it. All you have to do is say it and she'll live. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, you know, I haven't seen this much faith in all of Israel. And so it's like, OK, well, he got what he wanted and his daughter lived because he had enough faith. And so they take these little verses that commend amounts of faith and they apply that universally. And they say, as long as you have enough faith, the answer will always be yes. You'll always get what you want. And they go to these verses and these verses are verses that Christians have to wrestle with of you have not because you ask not. Right. And you ask not because you don't have faith. Right. So we do have to wrestle with those verses, but that's where the word of faith movement comes in, because they would say, as long as you have enough faith, you'll always get what you want. Here's the thing that's interesting. This is something that that I think we'll see as we get to every false gospel. The true gospel saves people from their sins through the work of another. Every false gospel saves people in their sin through their own work. Right? So the prosperity gospel adds, if you have enough faith, then you know, you'll get what you want. But what's interesting is that they're not saved from their sin. They're saved in their sin because it's still the greed and the lust, right? Yeah. And the and the selfishness and the self-centeredness in their own hearts that's dictating what they are striving towards in faith. They're striving towards enough faith for, you know, we could be really cynical here and say they're jets and they're, you know, 20 car garages and all that kind of stuff. And those are the prosperity preachers who are flying around the Kenneth Copelands and the Benny Hins of the world. But there are everyday people who are caught up in this gospel who are just trying to make ends meet. And the fact that they keep losing their job or they keep getting passed over for for a promotion, they look at that and they say, I just don't have enough faith. The Bible has all kinds of practical advice for us, like, you know, maybe work harder or, you know, maybe go back to school, maybe talk to somebody about why you suck at interviews, like all those kinds of things. I'm not trying to be belittle people's problems, but I'm saying there are very practical issues at play here and not everything comes down to an issue with you just don't have enough faith and that's why you're not getting this thing.
0: Yeah. I, I, sorry, I was laughing at you just suck at interviews. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. Like, well, I think that is a big problem in mean, society. I think you're bang on the perversion of the prosperity gospel is I take it as like, it's it's just an antitrust of God's sovereignty. We're just like yes. somebody who has, I think a proper theology realizes that there are things I can do absolutely to increase my chances of getting a promotion, but all things are in God's hands. He works it out to make me more like his son. Regardless of what happened, I say amen because I know that whatever trial, whatever testing, whatever promotion, whatever hardship I go through is to conform me to the image of Christ. That's great. I'm glad with that. But a prosperity gospel teaches the opposite where it's like, no, you can will your way to be like him just by a simple faith. But it never teaches you to be like Jesus. It teaches you to be like a CEO of a company. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, if you pray hard enough, you'll get a better car. Right. It's never like, if you pray hard enough, you'll overcome your sin of pornography. Right. I mean, like I've like you never hear that, that thing because the prosperity gospel at the heart is a false gospel and a false gospel has no business. It has, it doesn't care if you sin, it doesn't want to correct you from sin. It doesn't want to change you. It doesn't want to transform your life it has nothing to do with that. Like well, I don't it know, can't, right? It, like exactly, only the can't. true
1: gospel transforms.
0: Well, you, you said something this Sunday that I, that I wrote down in my little notebook where you said, I'm sorry, I'm going to misquote you probably. That's fine. Um, where you said every real um, interaction with Jesus leads to a transformed life. Right. And it's like, the idea is that the prosperity gospel, you will never see a transformed life other than material things. Cause I'm sure some people are getting rich. Like obviously there's people flying around jets, but I mean, you don't see a transformed person. Right. And this is why the New
1: Testament gives us the things that we ought to use as markers, right? Cultivating the fruit of the spirit. So what you won't see is growth in kindness and patience and long suffering, right? Like these are these like are my cold, <laughs> like you, like you suffering through your cold right now. Okay, so one of the verses that they love to point to is when Jesus says, "Greater things than this you'll see." All right, so this is one of their favorite verses. So this is how a prosperity gospel guy interprets this. Jesus is telling his disciples that they'll be able to do greater things than even he did. Come on, Chris, like those are the
0: things, right? Come on. (laughs) Yeah, I see. I don't, I think that verse is massively taken out of context because simply what, what Jesus is saying isn't, isn't that they're going to do greater deeds that they're going to see greater things. And what's the greater thing, the glory of God being spread further. And then it ends with the great commission. Go tell all the nations, well, what's the greater thing is that you're going to see a church go from one guy That's right. to 11 guys to millions of people. That's a much greater thing. Yeah. And then a practical thing. I always, we talk about this. We're on a, we're on a social media platform. 90% of the people who listen to this, we will never meet. And yet they're going to yeah. hear the, hopefully Lord willing, they're going to hear the true gospel from us repeatedly battered into them, even though they're never going to meet us. I can flip on my TV and watch John Piper. Teach me Calvinism, teach yep. me something that I'm never going to, I'm never going to hear. And that's not a substitute yep. for the local you church. Can,
1: you can go on Amazon Kindle right now and you can get the entire works of Jonathan Edwards for 99 cents.
0: This, this is what <laughs> the, like, these are greater things than pen and parchment going to going door to door. Yeah. Word of mouth, because we live in a time where we could literally get the gospel in everyone's hands within weeks. And what was the
1: like the definitive greater thing was Pentecost. Like that's what Jesus is pointing to. He's pointing to the democratization of the spirit, where the Spirit of God was not going to come and descend just on Jesus. Right, as we saw in in John's baptism. But then Jesus was gonna ascend to the right hand of the Father, send the Spirit to go out into all flesh, into all of his people. So now the, the the personal presence of the Lord Jesus goes with every believer as we are faithful to the Great Commission to go out and you know have dominion, be fruitful, multiply physically and spiritually. And so that's the greater thing. We can twist all these verses to make them mean what we want them to mean. But as soon as you start looking at things in context, and I think that one of the, one of the things that guards against the word of faith and the prosperity gospel is the narrative, the grand narrative of scripture. Mm -hmm. I think one of the ways we get caught in false gospels often is because we read devotionals, daily devotionals that have like a snippet, right? Or we read the Psalms or, or something like that for, Our daily devotions. And we never read the Bible cover to cover. We never read the grand narrative of Scripture. Because if we understand the grand narrative of Scripture, we recognize that it's not about us at all. We're a vapor here today, gone tomorrow. The only value any of our lives has is insofar as it advances the grand narrative, the big story of God. And so I think that part of what gets people trapped in these false gospels is being able to cherry pick verses and not be able to put them in the, the context of the big story. So the better you know the big story, the better you know your the whole Bible, the better prepared you'll be to fight against false gospels.
0: I think we're also just like, because we're such sinners, we're all kind of wired to a hero complex. And so... One of the things I I think the North American church is very prone to, and this is why I think we're prone to these two specific false doctrines, is that we grow up always wanting to be the hero. We watch shows when we're children because our parents put us in front of the TV. We read books and we read comics and read stories not the Bible. We're meant to project ourselves onto the hero who saves the day. So when you get to the point where you're hearing the gospel and you're hearing these stories and the prosperity teacher comes out and says, you can do these things, you can do these things, you can do these things it makes us want to join and be the hero. It makes us want to step into that role and be more than we are and more than we're called to be, be more than we're supposed to be. And I think we're all prone to this in some ways, but these gospels lead us to want to do more things than what we're actually called to when the Bible, if you actually get your involved, like you said in the grand narrative of scripture, it one, it becomes not about us Two, it becomes just do what you're called to do. Be obedient. You don't have to do anything special. God does the special things. He might use you for something special, But just being involved in your church is special, right? right? I mean, like, because you're a part of the song that never ends. You're a part of the story that continues to move. You don't have to do anything. you like, you're not David. You're not going to slay Goliath. Right. Jesus did that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, you're one of
1: the Israelites cowering in fear who then, who then runs after the, exactly. The, and, it's, fleeing. It's the, yeah. and it's
0: that opposite contrast to the thing that we're not the hero. And it's, so it's like a mindset set shift that I think yeah is so, prevalent in our culture.
1: So we kind of talked about the greed that I think is at the heart of the desire, obviously for material blessings. And I think, so as we're talking, talking, talking about the link here between the prosperity gospel and the word of faith gospel I think the word of faith gospel what you've kind of pointed on here and I think you're absolutely right is that the sin at the root of that is the pride or the pursuit of power right and it's it's interesting right so where would you go to like dismantle this sort of thinking well I immediately one of the places that comes to mind is in in mark uh nine and ten so Mark 9 and 10, Jesus is is going down with his disciples and actually says, like, like think about this for a second, right? These are guys who at this point in their ministry have been personally discipled by Jesus for about two, two and a half years. And it says that they were involved in an all out disagreement, dispute on the road about which one of them was the greatest. <laughs> and then this is where, you know, you get uh, James and John ask their mommy to go and ask Jesus if they can sit at the, at the right and left hand, right?
0: That's eternally embarrassing, by the way. <laughs> (laughs) No, like Like, we're
1: going to see these guys, right? Like, you know, yeah. yeah. And so you have the other disciples who get, it says, the text says indignant towards James and John for making such a request. And so Jesus kind of cleans up this whole mess here. And what he says is, It's the Gentiles who lord greatness over one another, right? They aspire for greatness so that they can lord it over others, right? They're aspiring for a position of power. They're aspiring for a position of influence. He says, those who are greatest in the kingdom of heaven have to be last, right? And he says, and the lowest, you have to become a servant to all. And then he says, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. He flips on its head the world's idea of greatness and it seems as though the prosperity gospel and specifically, as you've said here, the word of faith movement has reinverted You know, so inverted, but reinverted the paradigm that Jesus was trying to get at. They're going for the acquisition of power is what makes us great. And Jesus is actually saying the giving up of power, the empowering of others, the serving others and laying your life down for them is what actually makes you great in the kingdom. One of the things that kind of comes with the word of faith movement is this idea. It's called positive confession. And what they say, this is not a joke. This is literally their teaching, is they say, just like um, the God of the universe spoke things into existence, so too can we, who are made in his image, speak things into existence, right? And just so you know, you might think that you're not tangled up in this sort of stuff, but you might be a part of a, a congregation where you hear people pray like, we just want to claim healing. Have you ever heard that in <laughs> prayer? We hear it at our church sometimes because there are people who need to be We don't claim healing, right? We pray that the sovereign God would be merciful and would act in a way that would heal. We pray that the sovereign spirit would distribute a gift of healing. Somebody might be healed of an ailment. We do not claim healing, right? We don't call it into being. This is all word of faith mumbo jumbo and so they truly believe that there's this sort of like when you claim things when you say things right this is why it's called the name it and claim it or i like the uh blab it and grab it <laughs> <laughs> have you heard that one no, I uh, yeah that's that's kind of the the colloquial way of saying it i just want to read uh, in james chapter four He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or to that city and spend a year there and carry on and and do business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes right so james certainly didn't think that anybody could call something into existence he's telling you you don't even know what you're going to do tomorrow <laughs> like let let alone calling uh, you know that which isn't into being i think what we see in the life of the apostles and i think this is taught to them by jesus in matthew chapter 6 right when he's saying don't be anxious about your life right look at the sparrows right they don't sow they don't reap and yet your heavenly father feeds them look at the lilies right they don't make their clothes and yet look at them they're more beautiful than solomon He says, so don't be anxious about your life right? Or what you wear, what you'll eat says, your heavenly father knows you need these things. He's going to take care of you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And they take that verse. All these things will be added unto you, right? If you're faithful and you seek the kingdom, all these things are going to be added unto you. But what's Jesus talking about there. He's not talking about abundance. He's talking about sparrows and lilies, right? (laughs) Like that's what he's saying. He's saying, you're not going to have to worry about the material things because when you're seeking the kingdom, you're seeking something greater. God will take care of your needs. Needs. And then let's take a look at church history. There are Christians, faithful Christians, who have died of starvation and died without shelter. So Jesus wasn't saying that if you're faithful, you'll always have clothes and you'll always have food. What he was saying is God's going to take care of your needs. And your need is sometimes to starve to death and sometimes to have plenty sometimes it's to be in wanting and sometimes it's to be in bounty and this is why the apostle paul says in the book of philippians i have learned right in no matter what the circumstances and he goes through all that in wanting and in plenty and he goes through all those things the art of being content right he's like i've learned to be content and this is what james is saying in james 4 paul's saying it there jesus is teaching it in matthew 6 and what they're teaching is rest in the sovereignty of god we are not sovereign We don't call into being that which is not. God is sovereign. He sovereignly distributes gifts, material means, callings, all of these things. To one person, he gives 10 talents, and to one person, he gives one talent. And that's what a sovereign God does. Our job is not to figure out the fruit. Our job is not to call into being that which is not our job is to be faithful with what God's put in front of us.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up the Philippians one, because that's actually one of the verses that the, uh, like name it and claim it. People yeah. use, right? Like yeah. they forget the fact that Paul Spock talks about, I know how to be brought low. I know, like you, I said, I know how to place plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then here's the verse that they always use is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right. They just focus on, I can do all things. But it's right. like, well, what's Paul talking about? He's talking about the fact that I can live and be yeah. satisfied and joyful in the Lord through hunger, through need, through that's abundance, right. like, which is equally hard, like to be joyful in the Lord when yeah. you have everything you could, po- like it, there's a different danger, but like a danger nonetheless, a danger. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And he's saying, I can do all of it because I have what's more important. Right. And I think that's really important. There's other
1: verses we can go into, right? For example, right, 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 talks about how the love of money leads to all kinds of evil, right? In Luke chapter 12 verse 15, Jesus warns, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions, right? Or you look at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, do not start for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, So there's this contrast, even in Matthew 6, he he goes on to say, you cannot serve both God and money. There are all these warnings in scripture about pursuing material possessions. And I think this is where the gospel gets fundamentally screwed up for the prosperity preacher is that they pursue gifts, not the gift giver, right? They pursue the material blessings of being a son of God, not the father, right? And then similarly, because we've we've talked about the link between these two things, the word of faith movement, they forget the little things like, you know, one of the, my favorite passages to go to is when Paul, right? This is Paul. You think Paul was losing faith at the end of his life? No. And yet when he's writing in 2 Timothy to Timothy, Timothy has a stomach ailment. And he says, take a little bit of wine for your tummy. You don't think Paul would have said, Timothy, like... Gird up your loins and just claim it, right? Like, he he doesn't say that to Timothy because he knows that he's probably prayed for Timothy many times. Timothy's church has probably prayed for him many times. Timothy's prayed many times. And so he says very practically, as you continue to pray and as the sovereign God has not yet granted healing, take a little bit of wine for your stomach it helps yeah, right exactly practical and practical yeah exactly and so you look at these things and so what we want to come back to whenever we're kind of dismantling some of the fundamental tenets of these false gospels is come back to preach the true gospel so we'll end tonight by saying that the true gospel is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone nothing is added not having enough faith In fact, we know from Ephesians chapter 2, I think it's verse 8, that even faith itself is a gift from God. We don't have faith until he imparts faith, right? And so the true gospel is that Jesus alone saves. He saves us. One of our favorite verses is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where it says, And let the God who said, let there be light, shine gospel lights into your hearts. What is the true gospel? The true gospel is that by grace, God saves those whom he chooses to save. What does it take? just believing in Jesus, believing that Jesus is your substitute. It's the recognition, and we're going to get into this with some of the other false gospels, but it's the recognition that God does not come along and save you to make you a good enough person to get into heaven. You get into heaven, you are eternally saved because your sin was placed on Jesus and Jesus' perfect obedience, perfect righteousness, sinless life was imputed to you. That's why We are saved because we are trusting in the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Martin Luther, in reading the book of Galatians and reading the book of Romans, recognized all those years ago, over 500 years ago, that he was not justified because he was made righteous. He was justified because he was declared to be righteous. When we avail ourselves of the mercy of God and call out for a savior, Jesus grants saving faith. And he applies, the, the spirit applies the saving work of Jesus to our lives. Salvation happens to us. It's not something we earn. It's not something we have enough faith for. It's not something we claim. It's something that happens to us. And it's all free grace. Bam. Love it. So this is the series, No Other Gospel. Don't believe the prosperity gospel. Don't blab it and grab it. (laughs) Trust in the free grace of Jesus that comes by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. We'll see you next time.